1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So, by the demand of the community, we were told, please, 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 bring Avery on, bring Cody's wife on the podcast. <laughs> and unfortunately, she chickened out. I'm going to come to her defense and tell you that she, she put a solid, first of all, you and I decided to do this. No kidding, 100%. I just forgot to talk to her about it, which seems really screwed up. Well, excuse me, I know that because I kept texting you saying, hey, FYI, Avery's coming on the, on the roundup, remember? Hey, stop making it worse. She can, she's listening right now. And I, I forgot. And then you said it last night as we were wrapping up a, uh, a video conference deal, and she, she laughed. Like 100%, she was like, she thought that you and I were messing with her. And I said, no, seriously. We think you'd be a good podcast guest. So I emailed her the topics and to her credit, she studied the topics and uh, we've got some, some guests here at the house and she just came to me today and said, Hey, if you can find somebody else, I'd appreciate it. Well, we found a very able-bodied uh, replacement, uh, Sergeant Major Carver. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back to the roundup. Pinch hitting once again. Yeah, pinch hitting. I, I, I almost think that you guys need to send me the literature even when you're not planning on putting me on just in case. Just in case the guest doesn't show up and we have to drop you a text? Right. Yeah. It's probably important. And that way I can, I can pinch hit and actually have some sort of, uh, you know, input that's intelligent at, at best. Nah, you'll be fine. Last time you pinched hit like a champion, man. You had... 20 hours, you didn't get 20 hours today. No, I didn't get 20 hours. I, I, will, I will tell you, I, I was a little messed up because when Cody hit me up for it, I was just barely landing from flying out of North Carolina at 5 o'clock this morning. So I, I, I agreed to do it, but I, you know, if I wasn't jet lagged and tired, I probably wouldn't have at that late in the game. But I'm ready. Right. Let's do this. Hold on. Before we get into this, let's talk about this real quick. I sent Daryl, for, for those that don't know, Daryl has been uh, my best friend in the world for just a long damn time in our lives. 26 years now? 20, no, 27 years. God, you And uh, I sent him a text today that says, guess who I just booked for a Blood Origins podcast? And he replied, who? 
question mark, and then he guessed Joe Rogan. Because, you know, like, why else would I be flaunting it to him? Right. And yeah. No, absolutely. And I, I said, no, Micaiah, who happens to be Daryl's firstborn daughter. And I believe he sent back, what? Seriously? LOL. Question mark. <laughs> and uh, here's, I'm going to give my assessment from afar of Daryl Carver, 20, 20 did, you, did you make 25, 25 years in the Marine Corps? Oh, yeah. I was 25 and some change. Was a regimental sergeant major. He's really used to people doing what he says. Okay. And honestly, he was used to that as a Lance Corporal with everyone else. He's just an assertive, driven guy. Achieved, you know, more than most people ever dream of in his life because of it. I would argue, and I, I want to hear his response. I know for a fact that I've frustrated him for 27 years because I just don't do, I just don't always fall in line, right? And it, it's my laziness. It's not like I'm some driven, motivated person. He's like, we should go do this. And I'm like, no, we should just sit on our asses. I will contend that Kaya and I are very, Makaya and his daughter and I are very simple. She seems like another person that Daryl had trouble getting to do what he said to do. I, I want an assessment on that real quick. Well, I would say there's two parts to that. One, absolutely. Micaiah was probably the one child that um, tested, tested every bit of, let's just say she was tough. But it wasn't because she was a bad child. It was because she's a free thinker and she walks her own path and she's not afraid to, you know, rock the boat. And even tip it over every once in a while. So yeah, yeah. just flip the boat on its own. Right, but the second part of that is is she's also extremely driven, and she's very successful, and she's an, you know very very intelligent young lady, and and doing really well for herself, her and her husband. So I asked Micaiah for a bio because I wanted Robbie to read, not not public. It's I, I didn't want to post it anywhere. I just wanted Robbie to have some background, and Micaiah's response was. I haven't done anything interesting to you guys. I, I, she goes, I'm not old enough to have a bio. All I've done is gotten a few degrees and studied some things. And I just put, shut <laughs> the hell up. Anyone that says all I've done is gotten a few degrees is a, is a person that can have a bio. So anyway, I, that, was, uh, that was my day today was convincing Micaiah that, and I didn't need any convincing. I spent... Uh, I spent some really weird, uh, that time when we were in Salt Lake at the Western Hunting Expo, we were at a piano bar and Kaya and I sat while everyone else drank and debated and discussed and, and very, very, I, I had a great conversation with her at a piano bar with everyone else um, about conservation and biology and wildlife. And uh, it's going to be a great conversation when the two, when the, when Dr. Kroger and uh, the soon-to-be doctor, Micaiah, get on. So anyway, I, I don't want to distract us too much, but that was a large portion of my day today for Blood Origins was getting Micaiah booked as a podcast guest because I think she'll be absolutely phenomenal. Well, I think it's also important here to make note that Daryl works for Blood Origins too as an engagement specialist. And that's why we want to have Daryl on more often so that you get the audience, the community gets to know and feel and hear from the different voices that is, that is Blood Origins as we start expanding our wings and start pushing new projects and bigger projects and, and different things around the world. So um, I want to start a little bit differently. I know that we, we've got typically some admin stuff that uh, we want to get through, but I do want to start a little slightly different because there is a film coming out tomorrow by a very good friend of ours uh, that we are going to get on the podcast called Pedro Ampero out of Spain. And he's dropping a Sindh Ibex Pakistan hunt tomorrow, tomorrow being Thursday. So when you hear this, this will be Monday. It's already out. Go check it out. What's the most fascinating thing about this video is that he's pairing his dad that used to hunt, that hunted in the 80s in Pakistan with him hunting in the 2020. And he never realized it. And the guys that were his guides now all grizzled up and 
white hair and white bearded were the same guides that took his dad in the 80s and they were in their you know 40s essentially so they're marrying those two videos together actually and the same rock that he shot the ibex on is where his dad shot the ibex it's phenomenal wait wait but today wait. He, he didn't I, he didn't know that prior did not know that the exact place that he was hunting was the exact place that his dad hunted 35 years earlier. Oh, that's incredibly cool. I didn't, I, I knew that I, I saw from social media and, and conversations that that's what happened. I didn't realize that it was, uh, you know, karma or a coincidence or, or the, the stars aligning or what I, I thought he knew that. And so he went to that rock. No, no. And they hadn't actually found the footage yet. And dad turned over all this old school eight track footage that they've digitized. Not eight track. Eight track is, is music. Eight millimeter. Whatever, man. Shit. Eight oh, track, eight millimeters, eight something. You're Jeez, the doctor. I, I, think, I think Pedro's post where it shows the guide in the 80s and the guide now is probably one of the most amazing photos that i've seen on instagram and i don't even know how long i mean it was it was it brought some emotions forward for me i would i mean it i i thought to myself okay like in a different time frame i'd be fighting a guy like that but he's he's you know guiding people for animals in his home country and clearly you got to protect yourself too so but yeah that pedro's post on that was huge for me so to post that I want to talk about is, and we get this question a lot. It's the, it's one of, you know, if we had to sit down in a room and say, what are the five most often asked questions of a hunter? This would probably rank up as number one or number two in which you guys just hunt and you take the trophy and you leave everything there. Would you agree? I never have. No, man. What, the, what kind of answer is that? Do you agree that that the shit? This is going to be a long podcast if I have to explain stuff like this to you. Yes, Robbie, I agree. That's the top question we get. Yeah. When you engage with non-hunters or, you know, anti-hunters, absolutely, that's, that's probably the, the driving question that gets, you know, pushed towards you as a hunter. So Pedro posed this question today in his post comment. And this is how he he crafted the answer. He said, no matter the part of the world, everything is taken care of. All right, so everything's used. Then he took it a step further, and I've never heard it done this way. He said, actually, probably the trophy is the only things that the locals will allow us to take home, as it's the least important thing of the animal. Wow, that is good. That's a great, that's a great statement. And it's true. It's the least important part of the animal to the local community. Yeah, no, I've never, uh, I've never, uh, makes complete sense though. What use are horns? What use are antlers, right? Yeah, they could make some knife handles and whatnot. But at the end of the day, that's such, it's, it's actually quite truthful. Yes, the skin can be used for, you know, flooring material and, and clothing and stuff like that, but no, that's very cool. We've got to re- you remember that, Robbie. We're going to use that later, probably. I'll remember it. I'll probably forget. Yeah, that's why you, you have will. me around. You, you, you're going to forget. Yeah. All right, Steph. See, I, I have Daryl on more often because it's two v one instead of <laughs> two me versus one. Cody. Yeah, Daryl's Daryl's got a lot of experience with me forgetting what I'm supposed to point. <laughs> all right let's get into I've had, cut, uh, I've had to cut up a couple of your your deer haven't i for you just one pretty sure utah was the only one okay is this the same utah trip that you set fire to an atv yep yeah, yeah. also dressed up like pirates and got in a bar fight and kicked out of a john party concert yeah that was a hell of a trip like like probably like we've known each other 27 years probably two of our top three Three of our top 10 stories come out of that one trip. Yeah, it was a ringer. Definitely. It put us back on the, on the map, actually, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. 
you, you got now you can't you, you got to keep living it now you know right we were we were in a little bit of a slump there for what 20 something years yeah something something you got all serious about work and stuff um a little bit of admin obviously we have a shop we have t-shirts for sale we still haven't hooked in the hat guy the hat guy texted me today and said sorry you couldn't connect today uh but uh, we should have some some hopefully some cool hats coming uh supporters program for july outstanding items 200 gift card to kuyu 300 gift card to spartan precision bipods uh elephant and kangaroo rifle sling is up for grabs and carver i have to apologize i will apologize right now i only bought two that's all right two of the three people on this podcast are getting one so teton leather company um they were generous enough to make a elephant and kangaroo rifle sling for the blood origin supporters program and i wanted to support them and so i bought two rifle slings from them oh that's sweet well played Gob. you're gonna give it to the people who use them though right yeah that's right <laughs> that's jacked i know where you're going with this i'll let you see it when we're in idaho okay um so leather uh, teton leather company amazing company superb supporters of ours nicholas coleman has a superb lion piece of artwork uh i confirmed with nicholas on how much he would retail the piece for three thousand dollars right yeah yeah if you go to nicholas coleman's website the guy is freakishly good at wildlife artwork and there's a phenomenal piece of art coming in August by Chelsea Handler, which has a phenomenal story. Like it's a grandfather and it's, it's insane. The story about the picture that she's painted. Um, we've got a silverware knife. We've got a couple of discount codes. So get in on the supporters program, three bucks a month, four bucks a month, five bucks a month. Um, you will not regret it because we are into the back half of 2021. And we've got some phenomenal hunts still up for grabs, including an Australian buffalo hunt that is gonna be stuck up on the supporters program. Uh, we have our, co our corporate conservation club. Anybody listening to this that has a brand, that has a company that's interested in putting their them, them money where their mouth is essentially, um, look us up. Let us know about the conservation club and how you wanna be a part of it. We want you to be a part of it. Um, it's just an easy way to get a tax deductible donation as well as, um, yeah, showing people that you, you care and you see what we do every day and you get behind us. Lastly, Cody? Uh, don't forget about the Amazon link. If you go to smile.amazon.com, when you go there, it'll ask you to select the nonprofit of choice. Of course, at that point, you select Blood Origins. Um, and then just shop Amazon at the exact same pricing as before. And Amazon gives a cut of of uh of the products that you buy back to us so uh hoping that that becomes a very very easy way um there's a lot of people buying a lot of things on amazon and if you just start out your amazon venture at smile.amazon.com and inner blood origins is your nonprofit of choice we're not we're not taking your money it doesn't cost you any more we're taking amazon's money they give us a portion of that sale um and we would appreciate you uh giving it a shot if you remember that and amazon has plenty of money to give yeah 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 they're doing okay they're gonna they're gonna but you have to shop through smile.amazon.com right you have to go to smile.amazon.com in your web browser to do that all right make sure avery is putting smile.amazon.com when she's spending your money okay i'm working on it i'm working on it all right let's dive oh, in man a lot of money on amazon oh uh, yes so just make sure that that's like the first thing that comes up on her browser, okay? Yeah, make it her homepage as soon as we're done here. <laughs> All right. Um, either of you ever seen a grizzly? Yes. I have seen one. Where did you see them? Only in Yellowstone for me. Yeah, I seen, I seen one in Yellowstone and one up in Canada when I was up there. Not at, not at close distance by any means. So uh, news on the wire in the last week is obviously the camper that got killed in Montana. Grizzly bear coming into, you know, a lot of news had it that they were out in the, in the woods. Grizzly came in and took him out, but that's not the case. 
Cody, I think you know more about this than most. Yeah, she was a bicyclist in town. Um, yeah, help me with the name of the town. Very small town in Montana. Oh, something. Um, but she was a Powell. She was in a on a kind of a long term uh, bike through the bike trip through the area, and um, there was a place that was kind of an unofficial campgrounds, um, like like back behind a fire station um that that bicyclists going through the area knew was there yeah yeah ovando ovando that they were allowed to uh camp in and uh yeah in the tent came up to the tent um and took this lady out of the tent and uh unfortunately it ended up fatal um that was the uh for the lower 48 that early July attack tied the record. Um, we What's are, the record? Uh, four deaths um, is the record. Four recorded deaths is the record, right? So that's just crazy, right? We are, we're talking about four deaths, and we've said this before in podcasts, four deaths in America is just huge news. Human wildlife continues. We just we dropped a podcast last week about man-eating leopards in India taking out two hundred people a year. Right. Yeah. No. It's it's just leopards. It's definitely not a uh, comparable problem. Um, and we also have exceeded. So there's. I read this article that there's three things. Um, there's interactions. There's injuries, and then there's deaths. There's statistics on each. And an interaction is an aggressive movement, right? No contact, but an aggressive movement. Casualty is someone's hurt, and then a death is obviously self-explanatory. Um, and 2021, from the article that I've read, I've really tried to find good research on this, and I can't find it, but I did find an article that said 2021 has tied the record for deaths and exceeded the record for both casualties and interactions. Um, and, and we're only in July. So yes, absolutely. We don't have the same kind of problem that they do with leopards in India, um, but grizzly bear human con- conflict is uh, steadily becoming more of an issue. All of those records, by the way, were either set in 2019 or 2020. Now. I don't want to argue that in 1894, I have absolutely no idea what happened, right? No one does. There's no records. Um, Mm -hmm. But in the last uh, about 80 years, there's at least records being kept. It doesn't mean that they're completely accurate. And uh, there's definitely, uh, it's definitely something that's going to be on, on the radar because the grizzly bear population in the Northern Rockies is doing very, very well. Um, and more so than anything else we have in uh, North America, excluding potentially a polar bear, um, they they're not they're, they're not they're not afraid of us. They're they're an apex predator, and they're not afraid of us. So it's going to be something to watch and keep an eye on as the year progresses. By the way, two casualties since then, huh? in the United States, two casualties, both of them fairly minor. I don't know how actually minor a grizzly bear attack can be, but two casualties since, two casualties in the last uh, 72 hours in the United States. One of those was Alaska, just to be fair. Hmm. All right, well, keep an eye on it. Obviously, I think every week, there seems to be another, as you said, there's another, another attack coming or interaction or, you know, and we have a burgeoning human population too. So there's going to be more and more interactions. I'd also be interested to, to see the interaction between like livestock too. You know what I mean? Like what, how, many, how, many, how many incidents are actually happening with livestock versus, you know, humans per se? And how is that affecting, you know, how we're managing the grizzlies? Because like in the article, you know, just one thing like, the three more grizzlies were, you know, they had to be killed because they were had attacks on livestock. So I wonder how many, 
how many attacks on livestock and what's what are those numbers that that are not necessarily a human interaction but something that's affecting you know a game warden or somebody that has to actually go out there and kill that animal based on you know a livestock attack or you know something along those lines because it's important too yeah yeah I'm no, but you know, in the livestock world, they've they've got the incentives, right? They've got the agricultural incentives and subsidies that essentially put a value to it, right? It's, it's essentially the same model that is in Africa, in which you're going to live with predators like wolves, like grizzly bears, if you're getting compensated for your losses. And so th there is then the the give and take of okay, we're going to live with them and co and cohabitate with them, and know that we're going to take a couple of losses, but we're actually going to get subsidized for it. I read, okay, so how much do you actually know about that, Robbie? Because I read an article this week. I should have added it to the list because I hate saying I read an article and then I don't remember all the details. But, and this, I'm going to state right now, this seemed like a very biased article. I believe it was from a cattlemen's association. Okay. But the complaint was if you find a dead livestock, is that grammar correct? If you find a no. cow dead, um, and you can't conclusively, not you, but the person that comes out, can't conclusively say what killed it. Was it a wolf? Was it a bear? Was it a pack of domestic dogs? If that's left in question at all, they don't get reimbursed. Is that? Well, that makes complete sense, right? In that if okay. you can't find definitive proof or, you know, forensically identify various bite marks or tracks or anything like that, then that makes sense. Because then why would, you know, almost like you would just fake it to, you had an injured cow. Let's, for instance, you had an injured cow that you knew wasn't going to make it to market. Well, I'm just going to fake it. No, I think that, you know. I, I'm with you. I, I, I don't disagree. But this article said it's 11 to 1. 11 dead animals for every one that there's a conclusion made and reimbursement is made. Again, I, I, I will search for the article and try and bring it up next week. Because I, but but the, the article was basically saying for every one they get reimbursed for, they're losing 10 that they don't because there's no conclusion made. Now, I don't have a solution for that. I'm not claiming anyone's doing anything wrong and I'm not attacking the reimbursement system. I'm just saying if that's real, um, then there, there's an argument against this exaggeration of the livestock depredation by predators. Yeah, I, look, there's, I think there's multiple sides to it. I can't argue one way or another because I don't know the stats, I don't know the science, I, don't, I haven't read that article. Um, my gut says 11 to 1 seems very high. Um, but then again, you know, you may find cows in different states of decomposition. And I could almost see how once a cow is starting to decompose, it would be very difficult to put the puzzle pieces together to affirm what the actual cause of death was. Right. And no autopsy is going to tell you that, right? It, it's that to be able to establish that it was a grizzly or it was a wolf, you're probably going to look forensically at if there was hair or scat around the carcass. Did it get buried like a bear would bury something? Um, were there tracks around it? And so you start bringing in elements of weather and rain and snow and sure no that's that that all makes sense i just think there's a uh you know i think there's more more uh research to be done knowledge to be gained because you see the antis counter the livestock argument with there's only been x number of confirmed cases of say wolf depredation in or wolf uh livestock kills in wyoming right whatever um there's probably more than that right there's probably more than the confirmed number and i'm not i don't want to lay claim to whatever 
the that X factor is of how much more it is. But anyway, I read it was a, it was an interesting article. But at the same time, I was fully aware that the website I was reading it on was on one side of the argument. So whatever. Kava, anything to add? No, I mean, I, I, while you guys were talking, obviously you got way more to put into this than I do, but I pulled up a pretty good uh, article from a, a lady named Kimberly Regano. She studies grizzly bears and she's got a lot of data in her. This I'll send it to you guys so you can kind of read it. But the, the key is two things. One, based on her study, lives or grizzly depredation is a very small part of due to it's very small based on livestock on her data and then the other thing is is like you said cody there's a lot of and there's huge numbers of farmers that are not being compensated for animals that they're claiming are you know wolves grizzlies whatever because they just they have no way to prove it and so I'll send this to you guys. I, I didn't have a lot of time to go through it, but she's got a lot of data in here, you know, percentages and all kinds of stuff as, as, as far as, you know, from 2000 or 94 to 2005 is one of her, her, her studies that kind of talks about it. But obviously with the increase in grizzly interaction, I don't know what those numbers are now, I, you know, but I'll send this to you. It's got some pretty cool information on it. Awesome. All right, moving on. Cody, do you want to discuss the 200-page document that you decided that we all needed to read this week? Um, I only got to page 11. Um, the <laughs> WWF, the World Wildlife Fund, put out a document titled something to the effect of if we're going to make it in the world, humans have to learn to coexist with animals. Um, Let me put that scientifically. The future for all, the need for human-wildlife coexistence. Oh, that was very scientific. That was more Hollywood dramatic than mine was even. Um, no, I didn't read. I got bored. I hate science. <laughs> I need every, science, every scientific paper that ever should be, that's ever put out should be required to have a one-page addendum that says, we wrote this for Cody, and it's just bullet points and summaries. I know it's 102 pages. That's what you gave your money to World Wildlife Federation for, people, was so that they could write a 102-page article about people and animals need to learn, learn to get along. Um, I put it on there, honestly, not knowing it was 102 pages, and it maybe just needs to stay as I work my way through it um, and find out. Did, did you read it, Robbie, at all? Uh, I skimmed it just like you did. And typically, Cody, just for future edification, uh, a thing called an executive summary is the one page summary that you're looking for that happens to be in the beginning of documents like this. Uh, so if you want to just stick with it. Was it on this one? Yes, sir. Yes. On page uh, four, actually. Oh, yeah. So I you must have four, But still, there, it wasn't conclusive. I read page four. No, you're right. This 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 executive summary was very much more of this is what we did and these are the people we got together and didn't have any sort of conclusion to it. The, the real conclusion they said is we know that coexistence is possible. Um, they didn't give any sort of reasons. They they do go through in this executive summary specifically about all the things that are in the book, in this chapter, dare I say a book, but massive report. They talk about the underlying drivers. They talk about the impacts of human wildlife coexistence at various levels. They talk about unlocking solutions and moving forwards with coexistence and then an outlook for the future of coexistence, essentially. Yeah, but there's nothing, there's no meat. <laughs> like, there's no meat. Like, Okay, I want to know what your plan is for the 200 people that leopards ate in India last year. Right? Like, is that just like, meh, we all got to get along. No, they're eating so I did, people. I did quite enjoy the stats. Um, so on page 14 of this document, and this document, if you, if you come across it, it has a big snow leopard on the front. And in the, in the background, you see sort of like this Himalayan village, essentially. Hold on. Oh, okay, let me say something. Go ahead. Is in fact the snow, know the snow leopard. Is the snow leopard not the ultimate non-coexistent animal? In the, like, the, like the one large animal in the world that has the least experience coexisting with humans in the entire world? Is there another one? 
The snow leopard? Snow leopards don't deal with people. You never see them. They're never anywhere. They're like the ghost of the mountain. I would agree. Yes, it is. A, it is a strange. It is a strange species to pick. They might as well put, put a giant squid on there that lives three miles below the ocean. That's that's how I started this article. I'm like, why did you pick a snow leopard? They do. The right. People don't ever see them ever. They never see them. Right. We spend it. I think what they're doing. They, they put the snow leopard on there because they're trying to. They're trying to project the fact that we never see them. So that's the, that's what they're looking for. We don't want to bother them. They don't want to bother us. That's what they're trying to do. That's why they threw that up there. Except that's why they didn't put on. They didn't. They didn't put an Indian leopard that's killing two hundred people. A year. Right. With it. With a human leg in its mouth. That's not the picture they chose. Sorry. Go ahead, Robbie. Page fourteen. That's where you were at. Yeah, page 14, the stats. I like the stats. They're, they're, they're pretty um, eye-opening. Um, you know, I don't know how many people understand how much percentage of the earth is actually devoid of people. And somehow they calculated it. I'll have to look up the... They have a reference here in terms of where they got the data from. But they said 26% of the earth is devoid of people. Um, the... 56% of land is shared by wildlife and people. It's, um, and they went into some, some people and wildlife killing statistics. 121 people in Sri Lanka killed by wild elephants. Um, 405 elephants killed in Sri Lanka because of the conflict between humans and wildlife. Uh, then they get into lions, obviously. Lions, 150 lions killed in Tanzania. And we've talked about Amy Dickman talking about lions in Tanzania, and that's why she's got her Ruar project in there. 60 people killed by lions in, in uh, Tanzania. And then uh, snake bites, 80,000 to 138,000 people die of snake bites in Africa and Asia. Damn, that's a, that's a good number. I don't, like, I don't like snakes. That's a big number. You know what my favorite part of the whole art article is, is page nine and 10. Before they even go into any of the data, before they go into any of the information, what they tell us what we need to do, what everybody needs to do, from the international community down to the basic stakeholder and the teachers in the classroom. Like we haven't even laid out what the problem is or what we think we can do to, to solve it. And they right up front, this is what you all need to do. And the reason why is, you know, nobody's reading 102 pages of this. So they're going to just feed it up front, make sure that you get that info up front so that you know what you're, what you're, you're going to be guilty of violating if you don't do it. Mm -hmm. That's me. Mm -hmm. Cody, any more insight into this tomb of a document? If you look at the Nepal data, on page 14, look at the orange data. The average monthly income per capita in Nepal in Bardia, Nepal, is 56 US dollars. The average per species cost of crop damage per household is $20. So now people are down to 36 bucks. The average cost of property damage by an elephant per household is $73. I can tell you right now, I didn't even know elephants were a problem in Nepal. Yeah, it's amazing how, isn't it amazing that, maybe it's not so amazing, that human-wildlife conflict is, it, is at its greatest with the most poor. Um, why is that? Human-wildlife conflict is the greatest with the people that are the most poor. I, that's exactly what you said before, and then I said, why is that, and you just repeated the exact same sentence. Yeah, but it sounded like you didn't quite understand what I said. So no, I heard exactly what you said. And, no, I, and I totally, I, I get what you're saying. I yeah. agree, but is is that because the 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 wealthy have the means to negate it? No, I think it's because they are the poor live in areas in which their livelihoods are intimately connected with wildlife. Okay. Well, I mean, if you if you think about just the basic layout of an urban sprawl, right? You're, the poor people tend to be towards. I mean, depending on where you're at, obviously, but 
you know, your farmers, your people that are trying to provide subsistence, they're right out on the fringes. They're not in the center of the urban sprawl. So like you said, you know, you've got those animal species that are coming out of the jungles, mountains, you know, deserts, whatever it is that are, they're interacting with it. And I do think Cody's probably a little bit right too. Like they don't have the money or the means to, to create or erect, you know, walls or systems that, that protect their families when they're in their beds at nights or, you know, while they're out on their tending to their fields and stuff. So that's an interesting way to say that. I mean, to, I mean, it's a great question to think about though. Yeah, they're still interacting with nature, right? That, and they're still, you know, often they're probably ones that are dependent on the resource, right? They're the ones that are interacting with the resource. They're the ones that need it to, to sort of, it's sort of a subsistence livelihood. It's not a capitalist livelihood at all. So, all right, good stuff. Man. Wait, what, was stuff. there a conclusion? Was there a 102-page conclusion? Uh, let me look. I didn't get there. I tried. I scrolled and scrolled. Yeah. So the, the the fifth chapter is about the future, right? And they they have some concluding statements: maintaining connectivity, so connecting wildlife, right? Being able to make sure that they can move. If they've got areas to move to, that'll reduce the impacts. Innovations, sort of comprehensive technological solutions that will mitigate human wildlife conflict. Um, collaboration and partnerships. Uh, research. We need to know more about this, right? We need to understand it more. And Cody, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you can tell me the final conclusion that they came up with. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I want to. I want to have a decent guess so bad for a hundred dollars. And honestly, I'm trying to cheat, but I can't scroll down fast enough to get to wherever the hell you're at in this. Garden. What would WW? What does WWF need the most? Oh, donate donate money to WWF. Funding. Hundred bucks. I'll send you my Venmo. I gave you the money <laughs> sign on the video, man. Oh, oh, all right. I wasn't <laughs> on the video. I was scrolling this document. This kind of stuff drives me crazy. Honestly, I'm just going to sound like a dumb redneck for thirty seconds. I think that. 10,000 people across the world gave $20 a month to WWF that they couldn't probably, they shouldn't, they really probably couldn't afford to give. And they wrote this 102 page document that concluded um, use technology, give us more money, get eaten by leopards. Like, I, I, I don't, a 102 page document, and I guarantee you that there was a ton of people on six-figure salaries working on this thing for two years. Then they hired a graphic designer, and then they hired a photographer to go take a picture of a snow leopard to lead the whole thing in. And I, I know, I know, I know, I'm being bitter, and I've had too much whiskey to be on this podcast, but it's, this kind of stuff drives me crazy. Like, give me an actual solution about the 200 people a year that are eaten in India, or that are killed by, in India by leopards. That could be a half a page PDF, not a hundred and two page PDF. I agree. But it was probably it was a, probably a trail camera picture of a snow leopard, Cody, not a photographer, professional photographer. Have you ever seen the the have you ever watched any of the like what are the National Geographic, the phenomenal National Geographic movies? I know that National Ge I used to watch a lot of them in yeah. I used to watch a lot of them in South Africa. That was like the only thing we used to watch when we went to our grandparents' house in Mozambique with a big Nat Geo. No, uh, no, 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 no. There's some new ones that came out where oh, okay. you're talking like, about the um, Earth. Like Aren't the they called Earth? Earth? Yeah, yeah, like the Earth movies that are out. I'm I'm telling you, they had to spend millions of dollars to get some of the footage. And what I mean is, they had to have a guy there and or be providing power to a camera there for years to get some of this mm -hmm. footage it's amazing mm -hmm. no you should look you should follow some of these big wildlife documentary guys they like they're getting like jungle bird shots or jungle eagles and eaglets and stuff like that these guys are camped in the top of the canopy for weeks with their camera to get those shots 
Yeah. It's incredible. And the cameras are huge, right? The huge top line red with monster lenses. Right. It's right. amazing. It's amazing. Snow leopards. Well, snow leopards, exactly. Exactly. Well, um, anything else that you want to talk about? I know we've got a couple of others, but we're at 45 minutes already. And uh, we should just, uh, I know there's a couple of other interesting things that are going to happen. Um, Anything else that, that's piquing your interest right now, Cody or Daryl? No, but I did send that, uh, that grouse uh, article to Makaya and had her read it. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Because kind of, she, she just finished her master's on. on that's right. Out of BYU, right? Interaction. Yeah, wild horse interaction with, with sage grouse. So, yeah, I sent that, uh, that to her. So I'm, I'm excited to see what she sends back. What's the, what's the, uh, it's kind of a non-committal article. You can tell the guy obviously was a hunter that wrote that article, but like, what do you end up, can we envision a world where there's, first of all, neither I nor does Blood Origins have a stance on this statement I'm about to make. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Anything could come out of your mouth right now. Can we envision a world where the the there's a uh, there's a hunting season on the wild horse in in Western United States? No comment. Yeah, I don't I don't know either. And seriously, I'm not I'm not uh, pushing for it. But they're they're a, they're a detrimental invasive species. That was uh, that was kind of the theme of the articles that I posted was ones where I don't think there's a uh, super clear answer you know i put a i put a lead shot a a a lead shot uh article on there and we don't we don't need to go deep into that luckily the i think at this current time with the current ammo crisis and things is not the time for new york to pass a ban on lead shot um lead shots a, a conundrum for me Right. Like it's one of those things that I, I don't know the answer to, because some of that some of that uh, non lead stuff. is literally expensive enough to cut back on some people's hunting. I mean, it just is. It really and truly is. It's four or five, six times more expensive um, than some. Of, and then if you want to get into the stuff that performs like lead, it can be eight, 10, 12 times as expensive. You start shooting bismuth. At, at waterfowl and stuff um and are we gonna have to shoot bismuth at doves right because i'll burn a couple boxes of shells trying to get my 15 doves i'll admit it right now um mm-hmm. and i i don't but at the same time if the lead's bad for them i'm open to a discussion that, that was kind of my theme with the articles that i posted on the roundup today is there's so well, it's not it's not so much different than the uh, than the Arizona trail cam thing, right, Robbie? Like, like there's no this is not a black and white thing. It's not a right. it's not a pick a side, draw a line, and and eliminate the ba- the good guys, eliminate the bad guys thing. That's not how so many of these topics that we discuss go down, um, and. I don't. I don't know. I, I think at a minimum, um, it's good to talk about them. It's good to talk about them and have discussions. And that was a little bit my theme of the things that I posted on the on the show notes for this week. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's interesting the whole lead versus green ammo scenario and death by a thousand cuts. And in England, for instance, the grouse shooting community is moving away from lead. They're doing it purposely. And the reason why is that the food goes into the food chain. And obviously, you can't have lead in food that's going to be commercially sold. So they're, they're firmly embracing the idea of green ammo, if you want to call it green ammo. Uh, but I think that there are, as you said, discussions around the grayness uh, in, certain time, in certain places, probably very much black and white. In other places, very much gray. And um, in certain places, definitely a, a, a cut to 
hunting and hunting accessibility in other places, not so much. Yeah, I agree. Makes you think. That's a good thing. Carver, any last thoughts? Uh, now, the only thing I would say on it is, is I think it's equally important to be open to the idea of change as you know, like lead ammo, lead ammo versus non-lead ammo. You know, I live in California and you can't hunt with lead ammo here and it's hard to find. Like you just, you can't find it, you know, what now, whether that's because of the shortage, whether that's because everybody's buying the stuff up and, you know, you're, you just can't find it. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, last hunting season, I had to go outside of the state to try and find non-lead ammo, which is really, really difficult. Right. So, um, I don't know. I, I think it's 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 important to be just as open to the discussion of using non-lead ammo as it is a lot of other things, right? Like you need to be intelligent and 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 knowledgeable about both sides and why. That way is when you do engage in a conversation or you got to fight the fight, whether it's at the community level or the state level or even the international level or the government level, um, that you have the ability to to speak about it intelligently. And I think that's where. It's like that, you know, in the military, the Marine Corps for the longest time was like 45 versus a nine mil. Well, whatever. Right. And everybody wants to do one or the other, but nobody ever wants to do the, the actual background and try to figure out which round would be better when it comes to killing a person. But, um, you know, when it comes to lead ammo versus non-lead ammo, I think it's important that you got to get knowledgeable about both of them. And like you said, Robbie, it's not it's it's black and white in certain places. In certain places, it's just not black and white, and you can't lay over this, you know, one template in all the way across the United States or even into, you know, Europe or some of the other countries. It's just not the same. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I, you know, it's it's difficult. Like I'm, I have a hard time with it, but it's not because I don't have a problem placing non-lead ammo in the right place. It's availability. It's you know. You're telling me I got I can only hunt with you know non-lead ammo, but everybody's still shooting lead ammo at all the ranges. There, you know, the, the lead's still ending up in in the ground. So is it is it just to prevent hunters or make it harder for hunters to be able to hunt, or are we really honestly trying to lay down you know a a, a way to keep lead out of the out of the environment? So yeah, good points. Good points, gentlemen. I'm off to tack. Big sky in the morning. And uh, you guys have a good rest of your week. All right. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for pinch hitting. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.